Hey guys, this is Julia from Always Time for True Crime. Every week, I get into a new case about murder, missing persons, and serial killers. My podcast is all about the lesser known cases. So, if you're looking for something beyond Ted Bundy or John Bonet Ramsey, head on over to Always Time for True Crime for some new true crime stories. You can listen to Always Time for True Crime on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, Stitcher, and more. Welcome back to Our Distractions Podcast, a podcast where we chat true crime, paranormal, and conspiracy theories to provide you a weird distraction to your everyday life. I'm Alex. <laughs> And Christy. And this week we are back for True Crime, which this one, trigger warning for everyone, it's going to be really frustrating. I hate those. I know, I know. And when I picked it, I'm like, Christy's going to be really pissed off at me, but I have to do it. I have to, because it's not a case I've ever heard of. And when I got into it, I was like, oh, I gotta, I gotta do this one now. I'm invested. Okay, fine. <laughs> Before we get into that, Christy, what is your need? For a distraction. Um, I need a distraction this week because the last week actually passed. It wasn't that bad. But the beginning of this week coming up is going to be fun. I work like the oh. next 11 days oh, and shit. get no time off for the holiday. So this is my pre-distraction to this long ass <laughs> work week I'm going to have. Hey, no, and looking forward to it. A distraction to distraction, whether it's pre, post, or during, right? So right. I feel like Let's that get sucks. prepared. <laughs> Let's get prepared. And it sucks because it's all during like the spookiest month of all that you have to work no. 11 straight so days. It's so sad. I know, I don't even get holidays, but whatever. We'll have to, well, I think we're getting together sometime this month. We'll have to binge the new Bly Manor on Netflix. I'm geeked for it. I'm excited. It's coming I'm out. So It'll be like the next, this weekend coming up. I'm so excited. Um, or no, next weekend. Whatever. Fair enough. My need for distraction. Oh, gosh. I just find that there's so many things I want to do. But by the time I have time to do it, I'm so wiped that I just don't have the energy. And then I get mad at myself for not doing anything. Like last night, for example, I was watching TV for a bit. And I'm like, hey, I have to do this, 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 and this. And I think I only did two things. And I went to bed. And I'm like, hmm, I'm mad at myself. Why did I do that? So I just need a distraction from the fact that, you know, sometimes you just you just got to be easier on yourself. Just being Life hard on see. And so you did two things at least, so it's not like you didn't do anything. You're getting there slowly. Yeah, slowly but surely. It takes time. And speaking of time, it's time for true crime. Are you do ready? It, do it. Do it. Do it. Do it now. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this episode begins on Halloween night in Amarillo, Texas. Let's take let's go back to the year 1981. We weren't even thought of. We were a twinkle in our parents' eyes. I can imagine many kids were out trick-or-treating that night. Uh, the infamous costume that year was Indiana Jones, which just dates me because I'm like, I don't even know if I've seen the original Indiana Jones movie. I don't even see any of them, I don't think. Right? I feel so... Huge, was, it, was it like Harrison Ford does them or something? I'm I think not a huge so. Fan. Oh, fair enough. Amarillo wasn't a small town. Uh, back a year prior, it had an estimated population of close to 
150,000, and it's known to be one of the most populated places in Texas. 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 We actually have a friend in Texas, Ariel, from mm-hmm. Mountains. However, our focus today isn't just about Amarillo specifically, but rather 76-year-old Sister Tadia Benz. Sister Tadia Benz, uh, prior to she was referred to as Martina Benz, was born on September 21st, 1905, which I think makes her a Virgo. I think. You and your horoscopes. I didn't look it up because I'm like, yeah, I probably won't bring it up. And then as soon as I said, I was like, it's a Virgo. Anyway. Sister Tadia Benz was a devout nun who, on all accounts, was an upstanding person in the Catholic Church, specifically the St. Francis Convent where she lived and practiced. Loved and liked by all who she met, I can imagine she had a pretty normal life as a nun until Halloween of 1981. And that rhymes. Didn't even realize it till now. After not attending the chapel in the morning, on the morning of the 31st, Sister Angela Martinez decided to check on Sister Tadia, as it was kind of unlike her for for Sister Tadia Benz to miss chapel. Mm -hmm. Sister Angela entered Sister Tadia's quiet room. Her door was left closed, which was kind of odd because, and this is a direct quote from uh, UPI.com, Sister Tadia Benz was hard of hearing and always left her door ajar to hear the morning buzzer. So... Mm -hmm. Right off the bat, we're not, things aren't looking good. Given so, the chills. Given the chills. Sister Angela was left in shock as she found Sister Tadia's lifeless body in her room. The other nuns flooded the room, thinking at first that Sister Tadia had died of natural causes. I mean, she's 76. I'm not saying that that's super old. It's, I mean, I think it's not average, a great age, but like it's no. up there enough, I guess. Yeah, I think, like, the average life expectancy age now is, like, between, what, 80, 85? Yeah, I go around there. So, like, it's kind of young. It's below the average. Mm-hmm. Put it that way. The nuns tried to take care of Sister Tadia's lifeless body. They wrapped her body in a sheet when, at the moment, they noticed blood. So they're wrapping her up, and all of a sudden, they're like, oh, shit. They're, well, they didn't say, oh, shit, they're nuns. But they're like, oh, heavens, there's blood. Uh, so, oh, heavens. <laughs> I'm just trying to improv here, man. So I'm assuming that their minds probably went from natural death to perhaps maybe she had fallen. It was kind of like... Did they say where she was bleeding from or no? Not yet. We'll get to it, I think. Um, So the nuns then proceed to clean up the blood on the floor nearby Sister Tadia's body. One of the nuns named Sister Florentine later reported that some time had passed before she discovered that Sister Tadia's bedroom window was broken. So now we have blood and we have a broken window. Just going to put that out there. Highlight emphasis. Suspicious. She reported that she hesitated when police came by the covenant for their investigation. Like, it's been reported that she was kind of like, I don't know if I should say anything. Like, I don't want to... Maybe she didn't want to cause a commotion. It's not really sure. I'm not really sure what... Why there was hesitation. Like, if she was murdered, you should say something. Just saying. Well, yeah, exactly. However, during the investigation, police overheard the nuns talking about the broken window and the blood. And based on their observation... Even though the crime scene was clearly tainted at this point, they knew that something was more sin- like there was something more sinister going on than just natural causes. Mm-hmm. So police also found a kitchen knife outside of the convent in the driveway, a men's crumbled up white t-shirt, and a black curly hair which was inside Sister Tadia's bedroom. And Sister Tadia didn't have black curly hair. 
Mm-hmm. So police at this point believe that someone had broken into the sister's room and had raped, strangled, and beaten her to death, which was later then confirmed by the autopsy. That's aggressive against them. Yep. So people in Amarillo uh, were torn and felt that this year was just bringing on their worst fears. There had just been a murder not too long before that fateful Halloween. On July 9th, Narni Bryson, who was 77 years old, was found murdered in her home, which was located not far from the convent. She had been raped, strangled, and stabbed to death. Narni and Sister Tadia's murders were both eerily similar. Both were, you know, older in age. We'll get to it. But yes, pretty much. I like to jump the gun, okay? (laughs) (laughs) So uh, both Narni and Sister Tadia were kind of elderly. Like they were both in their late mid to late 70s. Um, Both were connected to religious groups. I'm not sure about Narni specifically, but I mean, they both were in the religious community. Uh, Both Mm -hmm. deaths are thought to have taken place in the early morning hours both raped, both were strangled, and both had black curly hair found on the cr- like found within the scene. They also found in both scenes a men's white t-shirt. So it's weird that you're like leaving hair, or like it sounds like it's a purposely being left, maybe, or just a really sloppy person. Well, and that's the thing. It kind of makes you wonder. Okay, why the white t-shirt? Why are you leaving mm-hmm. the shirt? Because not only that, but like assume that there's going to be DNA covered all over it, right? Mm-hmm. Like I never can remember exactly like what time I started doing like the whole DNA thing, but it's mm-hmm. like, why are you leaving shit? Why are you being sloppy? Why is it planned? Why, what's your thing? We will get to the DNA because it's going to be really frustrating. Mm-hmm. And I apologize in advance. I'm so sorry. I know. I know. Okay. I know. I know. Okay. So, <laughs> a person by the name of Manuela Bosks noted to police that they saw a black male walking nearby the convent the night of the murder. The male was supposedly in his 20s, approximately 5 foot 6, and walking with a limp of sorts, according to the report. Another eyewitness testimony claims that around 12 a.m. on October 31st, an observed Hispanic male was reportedly hiding behind a tree on the convent property. Apparently, a couple hours later, one of the other sisters heard the phone ringing after seeing this man on the property. The nun answered the phone in which the caller reported that he was, quote, Father Jose and further disclosed having, quote, sexual problems before asking the nun if she could help him. The man reportedly spoke with a Hispanic accent, according to reports. So I'm assuming he's like, oh, I have sexual problems. Can you help me? And she probably was just like, no, good luck with that and hung up. (laughs) (laughs) You have the wrong number, sir. Click. So... At this point, police thought that based on the physical evidence, the murderer was either Black, Cuban, or Port- or of Puerto Rican descent. Police felt that they may have more of a connection or tie to who could be behind this. So, like, slowly but surely making their way. But things, <laughs> things for the police at that time were not so easily connected. Or essentially, like, shit was kind of going on with the police. So, apparently, there was tension between the Amarillo Police Department and the Potter County Police Department. As the two. Were described as having kind of like a pissing contest. That's how I'm going to describe it. That's a great way to have your police. Yeah. Which actually led to a capital murder charge being dismissed since the focus maybe wasn't so heavily on the case. And this is... That's just kind of like my wording based off of what I've read. Essentially, Please like... Please doing shit job and then, the fuck, and then stuff gets not done because you didn't do your job properly. 
Well, exactly. And, like, one police force is trying to outdo the other so that they can get more funding as opposed Mm. to the funding going to something else, right? So, like, I'm going to... It's a pissing contest, and it's unfortunate, but everyone involved uh, with that really wanted to prove that they wanted and needed to get over what happened and to hopefully demonstrate that they need a permanent full-time homicide squad. So that was kind of, like, their goal was, okay, if we prove that we're the best, we'll get a full-time homicide squad, which, like, that's great, but you're, you're, you're going about it the wrong way. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, ha- have a fucking bake sale. Don't ruin lives because you, you want some extra money, okay? Make some cookies. Make some cookies. Don't be a dick about it. All right. So going back to the case, uh, police started to interview Black and Hispanic men who had recently come into Amarillo from Florida. Around this time, the states were opening up their immigration to those from Cuba, and a wave of new immigrants were migrating from Florida to Texas. I don't know why. I don't know. I don't, I don't know why. I mean, I think they're going to, like, they're coming from Florida to Texas probably for work, new start, what have you, but I don't know why Texas. I don't know why Florida. Who knows? It's weird. So these men that were being investigated were forced to give blood and hair samples for evidence. So, like, once they were interviewed, they were asked, like, hey, you have to give some kind of DNA, which I don't know if that was legal at the time, but I mean. If you're, like, a suspect, okay, but, like, you can just, like, be like, okay, everybody. Yeah, exactly. So two men stood out during this investigation. Uh, Fernando Flores and Leoncio Rita. Two weeks after the murder of Narni Bryson, Rita and Flores were found, and this is direct quote, prowling around a house a short distance from the home of Mrs. Bryson. Yes, these two BFFs uh, supposedly admitted to looking into windows of the houses in the area, and it has been documented that they intended on entering the houses that they were looking into. So they were kind of like a little transparent. Yeah, not to be rude, but a little sketchy, a little sketchy. However, the FBI actually cleared Flores, uh, who police thought was kind of like the real murderer between the two. Like, they kind of thought, okay, well, if it's going to be either or, it's probably going to be Flores, but it wasn't. I believe Ruda was linked and charged for the murder of Narni. However, information about the date and trial and outcome and what have you is nowhere to be found that I can find. But we will put that one on the back burner for the second. Okay. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. So scrambling and trying to figure out what to do next regarding Sister Tadia, police had tried to hypnotize a surviving victim of a somewhat similar attack. The attack left the victim with a fuzzy memory. Unfortunately, being hypnotized could not even bring back the memory. And this is where things take a little bit of a spooky turn. Spooky turn. They even hired a clairvoyant uh, to try and come up with clues. They hired local clairvoyant Inez Bubbles Patterson who had helped police with several other cases prior to this one. So Inez reported that after the death of Sister Tadia, she had a dream of the killer, who she reported was a muscular, thin young man about 5'11", with large ears and a, quote, Abe Lincoln face. Uh, The dream... I know. I know. Specific, okay. Looking like Abe Lincoln. I'm kidding. (laughs) So... The dream also showed her the showed Inez the address of the killer, which was four thousand northeast eighteenth, and a name, Mr. Clyde. Mm. So uh, I can imagine with all this information that police may have felt like they were in a crunch to try and figure out who had murdered Sister Tadia, which brings in Johnny Frank Garrett. 
So Johnny was born on December 24th, 1963, making him about 17 going on 18 when Sister Tadia was murdered. He was born in Oklahoma. However, at some point, him and his family moved to Amarillo. Johnny fits Inez's description well. He was young, muscular, and had somewhat kind of what people would refer to as an Abe Lincoln face. <laughs> so Abe Lincoln face with an okay bod. Okay. <laughs> Abe Lincoln, can you put that on your Tinder description? <laughs> Looking for an Abe Lincoln face with a, with a fit bod. <laughs> No, thank you. A local neighbor by the name of Sue recalled in the documentary, The Last Word, that Johnny was a direct quote, and this is a direct quote, sorry. A sweet, loving child who never did anything to hurt anybody, end quote. Johnny also, hold your horses. Johnny also reported, reportedly had a dog named Mr. Clyde. Another connection to Inez's description. In comparison to the other eyewitnesses' reports, though, Johnny was Caucasian. However, he did live at the same location as Inez saw in her dreams. It's been reported that Johnny was raped by one of his stepfathers as a kid and and was then hired to provide sex to other men. He, at around the age of 14, and who knows, maybe before, uh, Johnny was forced to perform bizarre sex acts and participate in homoerotic pornos. So Johnny didn't have a great childhood. A rough upbringing. Yeah. At around age 10, Johnny was supposedly introduced to alcohol and drugs, specifically paint thinner and amphetamines. And if that wasn't so bad, it's also been documented that Johnny was regularly beaten and on one occasion was burned severely over a stovetop and burned with cigarettes. So like kind of the old, I don't know if you've ever seen, but like, I think way, way back when, probably even now, who knows? People are awful, but people would put out their cigarettes on people's skin. Mm-hmm. Be a little yeah. light on the stove and be like a little on your skin and a scream yeah. and a cool. No. At one point, it was reported that Johnny um, would sleep underneath the football bleachers to avoid going home or he would try to stay at neighbors' homes. So as to get away. Yeah. Uh, many believed that Johnny also suffered from a mental disability. By the end of grade six, it was reported that Johnny struggled to read properly. Mm-hmm. So he just wasn't, it was just really hard. It was just a really hard life. Like, it's it's actually really sad. Um, Never to hear about it at the beginning of it, yeah. So Johnny also lived down the street from the convent. And apparently, unnamed witness claimed to have seen Johnny run away from the convent in the wee hours of October 31st. Police had also reportedly seen Johnny beat a nearby bush outside of his home the night prior to Sister Tadia's murder, which made police want to connect with him to, like, connect with him to see, like, okay, what's going on? You okay? Like, we have questions. Because he was just, I guess he was outside just, like, beating a bush up? I don't know. (laughs) I I mean, like, I go crazy on my front yard in terms of, like, pulling weeds and shit. So, like, maybe that's what he was doing. But I think... the wee hours of the morning? No. Yeah, fair. Police had also had Johnny's fingerprints from a previous charge of vandalism which were apparently supposedly matched to two fingerprints found in Sister Tadia's room. So That's not good. After talking to Johnny, they also noticed that they, you know, he, one of his knives were missing in the knife set. That was at Johnny's home. And it matched one of the knives found at Sister Tadia's, like, outside the convent. Johnny would be arrested on November 9th, 1981, only 11 days after the death of Sister Tadia. His mother, Charlotte Cameron, recalls that she and the family were watching football when police arrived at the home to arrest Johnny. However, 
the warrant for the arrest apparently was documented for a stolen truck. Like so they, they didn't showed... have a warrant to arrest him at all. Well, they had a warrant to arrest him, but it wasn't for murder. It was for a stolen pickup truck, which sketchy. It was until a news break uh, where they reported the police had finally arrested someone for Sister Shadia Benz's murder, and a picture of Johnny came up when, and that's how his mom found it. Like that's how she found out that he was actually arrested for the murder of Sister Tadia Benz. Yeah, you can't like post it on like the news or whatever. If like you first have a warrant for a truck, you can just confuse someone with murder. Yep. So huge red flag. Huge, huge, huge red flag. Another huge red flag was apparently Johnny reportedly confessed to the murder of Sister Tadia Benz, however, never signed off on the confession, which doesn't necessarily make it accurate then. Like, how do I put this? Someone could say like, yeah, I did it. I, I did it for sure, yada, yada. But if they don't sign the actual confession statement and write it down... It's yeah, not there's applic- nothing to actually tie into them. It's all hearsay, and then they can't prove that. Exactly. It's not applicable in court. Mm-hmm. So in the confession statement, quote-unquote, Johnny claims he was drunk and high on LSD when he broke into the convent through a window hoping to steal a stereo. He walked up some stairs and down the hall to Sister Tadia's bedroom on the second floor. Johnny then reported that he left the same way he came in, where investigators were unable to find broken glass underneath the window, which is suspicious. Like, I think the way that it was broken, like, yeah, it was broken on the inside, but then it should have been broken on the outside too. Like, if you're going in and out, there's a good chance that that glass is probably going to go on both sides. Johnny's lawyer, Mr. Coolis, apparently had a kind of like a this is a lost cause attitude with Johnny's case, according to Johnny's mother. However, he would be a court-appointed lawyer for Johnny. Um, it doesn't help that Coolis had never handled a murder trial, apparently, prior to Johnny's. So, like, he wasn't well-versed. I know. This kids aren't set up for failure. And that's why when you were like, oh, he's guilty. I was like, uh-uh, no, we, there's a lot going on. Here. So Johnny further told the court that he had been into the church numerous times prior to the death of uh, Sister Tadia. And furthermore, he felt his fingerprints would probably be found everywhere because of this. Like, I think at one point... He even helped this, like the nuns, move furniture in and out of the church. So of course, his fingerprints are going to be fucking everywhere, right? Yeah. Like, so John, I know Johnny's sister and mother would also tell the court that the night of Sister Tadia's death, Johnny was home all night. Like he was home with them. So, so he has an alibi. He has an alibi. DNA samples such as blood and semen were handed over for further testing. However, it's 1981 when all this took place. So DNA testing wasn't as readily available and like it wasn't as high tech as it is now for some, mm. for, like for some things. And it just kind of goes downhill from there. So semen samples uh, could be tested to determine the killer's blood type at this point. So the samples were sent to Ralph Erdman. A pathologist in the area. And unfortunately, the semen samples disappeared without a trace after they went to Ralph. What? Yeah. Yeah. There were rumors that the prosecutor for the case, Danny Hill, had perhaps paid off or asked for the semen samples to be thrown out by accident, unquote. However, <laughs> however like, this is just a reported rumor online. No. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's true or not. I'm not going to speculate that it was, but uh, it doesn't help that Erdman Ralph would later be charged with falsifying autopsy reports in 1992, so after this case, when he claimed he did an autopsy on a man named Robert Craig Newman. When Robert's body was exhumed, it appeared that no autopsy had actually been completed. Okay, yeah, that's bullshit. Clearly, take your medical license away, and every other case you did should be opened. 
Exactly. That's what happens when you're doing bad at your job. So another lawyer would be appointed for Johnny's defense, a man by the name of Phil Jordan, who had never handled a murder case before. And he reportedly knew Danny Hill, like the prosecutor, well, on a like on a personal level. Like, I think their brothers went to school or something like, I mean, it's, it's not a small town. But it's a small, it, it, it's given you small town feels. Yeah, everybody that. knows everybody. So the FBI had re- apparently reviewed some of the evidence and samples between the crime scenes of Sister Tadia and Johnny's own personal belongings, in which there was no trace match found whatsoever. This included the stab wounds found on Sister Tadia, uh, which they found did not have a match, or there was no match for the knife that they thought Johnny had used. And the hair found wasn't Johnny's. Nothing was connecting Johnny to the crime scene. What the fuck? I know. However, Johnny couldn't reiterate when exactly he was at the church last or how many times he went to the church prior to the murder taking place. So things were looking pretty bleak for Johnny, Mm -hmm. such as not able to reiterate specific details, his defense team not doing their own investigation of the crime scene. and The defense never handling a murder. Exactly. And being denied uh, by the judge to change the venue, which was requested to offset getting an impartial jury. I guess they had asked, like, hey, can we go somewhere else? Like, we want to make sure that we don't have an impartial jury to sway the votes or what have you. And the judge was like, no, we're going to keep it here, which is not really ideal. Like, at all. No, like, this should be in favor of the person every time to get them a fair trial. Exactly. the justice system, hopefully. But apparently as we both know, the justice system doesn't always bring you justice. So Johnny's legal, team, yeah, Johnny's legal team is also what I'm going to refer to as a fucking mess. Uh, his lawyer could have objected the fact that one of the jurors had disclosed that they had a friend who worked in law enforcement, meaning that they, have a, they had further access to learn more information about the case outside of the trial, which is a huge fucking no-no. But his lawyer mm. didn't do that. And... Mm. On top of all that bullshit, no information regarding Johnny's child trauma, his mental health, cognitive functioning wasn't even talked about in court. Like they, they yeah, that's a huge thing for his lawyer to bring up. Being like, there's all these factors of this and what could have like made him be there and be acting weird, but not make him do murder. Exactly. Exactly. With that being said, unfortunately, the jury would come back and state that they found Johnny guilty of capital murder and sentenced him to death by lethal injection there's literally no evidence tying him he's literally 18 years old yeah that's bullshit beginning sending someone to death that and there's literally nothing saying he did it for sure literally nothing there's like the one eyewitness was like oh yeah i saw him running around yada yada it's the night like it's halloween morning what have you like he people are running around from halloween and you cannot like go a whole trial on murder sentenced to death based on eyewitness testimony because no. that's like the worst thing to go off of it's so fucking shoddy like uh, anyways i told you this one was going to be frustrating so johnny would be held at the elis unit which was in huntsville texas at the time this is where men um who were on death row would be held um, kind of like from all over the state. So he was originally scheduled to be, be executed on January 6, 1992. However, Pope John II uh, requested clemency, which the present governor at the time granted a temporary reprieve. After the reprieve, the Texas Board of Pardons and Parole held a hearing on whether Garrett should receive a change, essentially to either life in prison or to keep the death sentence. Well, the death sentence was voted 17 to none. So they were like, no, to keep the death sentence, yeah. 
How fucked. How? I'm annoyed. I'm annoyed. I know. So Johnny would write letters in jail and one specifically read, Here I am, sitting in a jail cell. Sitting in a jail for a crime someone else has done. I guess I'm going to pay my dues. Do the time I should have done for after crimes I've committed. Crimes that hurt people. Hurt me. Yes. I've stole, hurt, cheated, hated, and went out for vengeance and, lo- vengeance and love. But they've all done... They've all been done on me. So Johnny's, I know, Johnny's execution day arrived on February 11th, 1992, nearly 11 years after the tragic death of Sister Tadia and when this nightmare for Johnny begun. So literally he only had like a couple, like just over a month of reprieve, I believe, um, to deal with the Texas board and what have you. So, like, could you imagine just sitting there waiting to figure out whether or not you're going to die for something you didn't fucking do? I'd, like, be going crazy. Like, what's going happening? Like, is there any point? Exactly. Like, how did I get myself into this? I know. Johnny had requested his final meal of ice cream. Don't know the flavor. Sorry. Because there's some people that really like knowing the last meals, and I'm one of those people. Couldn't tell you what the flavor was, but hopefully it was... Good choice on ice cream, I guess. Hopefully, hopefully it was... Something good, whatever it was. Some reports claim that Johnny did not have a final statement. However, some other reports uh, state that Johnny's last words were, and this is a direct quote, I'd like to thank my family for loving me and taking care of me. The rest of the world can kiss my ass. Good. They can. (laughs) They can. Johnny was 20 years old when he died by lethal injection, which for those who don't know, usually is a barbiturate, paralytic and potassium mix. After his execution, the community and nation at large continued to question the potential innocence and the humanity of his execution in general. Like, I think the community at large was outraged and even the convent was like, the convent didn't want him prosecuted at all, I don't think, from what I gathered. Like, they were just as shocked as I think everybody else in the community when police were like, yeah, we arrested him and he confessed. They're so like, oh shit, what? Like, what do you mean? So as mentioned briefly, Johnny had been described as mentally impaired. A mental health expert reportedly described Garrett as, quote, Having one of the most virulent histories of abuse and neglect I have encountered in 28 years of practice, end quote. So this bears down to the question, if it wasn't Johnny, who killed Sister Tadia Benz on Halloween of 1981? Because they're clearly still out there. This is where we actually have a little bit of a break. Um, Mm -hmm. DNA evidence from Sister Tadia's case was tested again in 2004 through CODIS, which linked another criminal, a man by the name of Leoncio Perez Ruda. Rita. Ruda? Ruda. I'm going to go with Rita. Okay. 50-50. 50-50. <laughs> if that name sounds familiar, Rita's, yeah. Rita was BFFs with Flores, who the FBI had cleared for the murder of Sister Tadia and Narnie Bryson. As mentioned, at some point, Rita had pleaded guilty and was actually serving a 45-year sentence for the murder of Narnie. Rita's DNA was taken from Narnie's crime scene, hence why there was a match found within CODIS, once the DNA from Sister Tadia's murder was ran. When Ruta was questioned by police about the DNA match to Sister Tadia's murder, Ruta allegedly confessed to, quote, killing and raping a nun in his past, but didn't admit it to being Sister Tadia. Hmm. Rita was never charged with killing Sister Tadia Benz, and it doesn't appear that Texas will do the fucking work to exonerate Johnny anytime soon. Yeah, just like, part, just killed any, they get 20-year-old, and then you let the other person get away. 
I'm sorry. Yeah. This also means that the murder of Sister Tadia Benz that took place on Halloween of 1981 has never actually been solved. I'm annoyed. And that is my annoying case. <laughs> is that so no, it's just, it's just stuff like that. Like, I don't understand. Like, yes, everyone's like trying to suggest the system. And I get, like, stuff, good stuff does happen. But, like, a lot of the time it's like, what the fuck? Like, you know someone did something and, like, I get out to all the whole, like, you have to have evidence, you have to prove it, yes. But in this instance, I was like, this is all, like, cl- like clear, cut dry Hon- what's happened. Honestly, when I first, okay, when I first found the case, the one article I read really painted that Johnny did it. And I was like, okay, cool, cut and dry, whatever. But then I looked into it more and I read accounts from, like, his sister and, you know, people that knew him. They're like, no, he didn't fucking do this. Like, this wasn't him. So then I watched a little bit of the documentary, which I would highly recommend. And literally, like, it just, to me, and this is my opinion, this isn't whatever, this isn't gospel, but mm-hmm. to me it seems like the police at the time felt that they needed to get this murder case solved because it was a prominent figure in the community. It was a fucking, like, a nun. Yeah. And they were, once again, still probably trying to have a pissing contest with the Potter County Police Department. So I think they pinned it on Johnny because of the fact that he potentially had a mental disability or a cognitive disability. And the fact that, like, he did have prior convictions, like, just petty shit, like vandalism and a, maybe a theft charge. Like, nothing. That's just a murder now. Exactly. Exactly. So to me, it's such an unfortunate case. Because you literally took, like, there's two lives lost at the Mm. end of this. Like, you have Sister Dia Benz, God rest her soul. Like, I hope, like, you know, you have that. And then you have Johnny, who to this day is still the quote unquote murderer of Sister Tia Benz. Meanwhile, the whole community's like, no, like, it's not him. How, like, anyways, I'm gonna get, like, way into it. We're gonna get all riled up. Yeah. Anyway. Where can you watch this documentary? Like, what is it called? Um, okay, so actually that's a good thing you asked because I am going to spit out my resources. So, uh, it's called The Last Word, uh, the documentary, and I found it on Netflix, or not Netflix, uh, YouTube. It's a really good documentary. I think it's over, like, two hours, but it's, it's good. It's worth a watch. Um, the other... (laughs) The other resources I used were the Halloween costume everyone was wearing the year you were born, Cosmopolitan article written by Carney Lavach, and that was September 13, 2019. Wikipedia, Murderpedia, uh, upi.com article, uh, archived article from August 26, 1982, nuns who found Sister Tadia Benz dead in her dot dot dot. Uh, It's creative. (laughs) Here's the fucking twist blog by fellow Canadian Kristen and Bloodshed Books website. Mm-hmm. A lot of research yeah. there. A lot of research and a lot of very frustrating moments typing this one out and being like, why the fuck do we keep funding the police when they don't do their fucking... I mean, human error, whatever, but this is beyond human error. This is a royal fuck up. And yeah. if anyone from Texas is listening, I don't know how to go about ex- like exhuming or exonerating someone's case in the states, but like make this shit happen. And if you want to let like can let us know how we can help with that, like please email us because your girls are pissed. <laughs> to say your girls are pissed and annoyed and. Ugh. Ugh. Okay, tell tell these fine listeners where they can find us. 
Yes, you find listeners all annoyed with us. <laughs> you can find us on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcast. We love five stars. Give a review. Please, please, please. Google Podcasts, Breaker, Radio Public, Overcast, Pocket Cast, and Good Pods. You can email us, as we said, get in touch with how we can help or any suggestions of your own, any stories, anything in general, to Weird Distractions Podcast at Outlook.com. You can tweet at us on Twitter at Weird Distract I1. And hit us up on our Insta page at Weird Distractions Pod. I apologize if I pronounced any names wrong in this episode. There were a couple like Rudia. Rud- I, I should have looked it up beforehand. But I apologize if I offended anyone by pronouncing anything wrong. Um, I will kindly ask that you listen to the end of this episode and the beginning of this episode in particular because we've got two promos. Uh, we've got promos from Always Time for True Crime, a fellow Canadian, Julia. Um, and we've got Basic Murder Babe. So listen to those promos, check those other pods out. We love a good podcast promo, as you can probably tell. <laughs> so We spam you with them, so listen we, to them. <laughs> exactly. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for your support. And as always, need a distraction. We got you. Bye. Bye. Kelsey. Hey, I'm Sierra. And we're the hosts of Basic Murder Babes, a true crime podcast. Just two basic murder-loving babes discussing our latest creepy interests. But this isn't your basic true crime podcast. We're here to drink, chat, and get weird. And we want you to join us every Wednesday. We want you to be involved in our discussions, so find us on social media by going to linktree slash basic murder babes. That's l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash basic murder babes. And subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You don't want to miss this week's crazy new discussion, so go subscribe now. Okay, bye!